Welcome to Power Play. I'm Evan Solomon. On the show today, Hockey Canada leadership getting disqualified. If we have to create an organization, get rid of Hockey Canada and create an organization called Canada Hockey instead, um, people will look at doing that. As the Prime Minister shoots for a replacement, major sponsors abandoned Hockey Canada after another secret fund was discovered. Will the leadership there resign? We've got the latest on that scandal. And after Kenny. I'm grateful over the past uh, nearly four years to have had the best job uh, in Canada, the best job of my life. Hours from now, there'll be a new premier in Alberta. Will controversial frontrunner Danielle Smith run away with the race? Looks that way. CTV's Bill Fortier breaks it all down for us. And then the crisis of trust. This is my last show hosting Power Play. So I want to address a key issue that you talk to me a lot about. Trust. Politicians and media are facing a trust crisis. What needs to be done to repair the damage? We're going to have a frank conversation. I'm going to ask the former Prime Minister Kim Campbell about it, the uh, uh, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald, and MPs are gathered to talk about that. Let's talk straight. This is Power Play. Let's get to the players. Alberta's next Premier will be unveiled tonight, voting for the next United Conservative Party leader and the Premier. Wrapped up earlier today, there are seven contenders to replace the outgoing Premier Jason Kenney. Four candidates are former members of Kenney's cabinet. Uh, they are Leila Heer, Rajan Sowani, Rebecca Schultz, and Travis Taves. MLA Todd Lewin was kicked out of the UCP caucus after criticizing Kenny's leadership. And two former Wild Rose leaders, Brian Jean and frontrunner Danielle Smith. Reminder, the Wild Rose Party did merge with the Alberta Progressive Conservatives to form the UCP in 2017. Danielle Smith, of course, was not part of that. So with the new leader of the governing UCP assuming the role of Premier, what's at stake for Albertans? Let's bring in CTV News Bill Fortier, who joins us live from the uh, UCP leadership even uh, event in Calgary. Uh, Bill, uh, this will be the next uh, Premier. Uh, Danielle Smith, obviously, perceived as the front-runner. What are you looking for tonight as this unfolds? Well, it'll be interesting to see how close it is. I mean, this is a, a preferential voting system, right? So it's not a, a simple process. People pick their first choice, second choice, third choice, as many as they want. Uh, and then what happens is, you know, the person with the, the, f the fewest number of, of uh, votes first choice votes gets dropped and then you start looking at second third choice fourth choice so sometimes there can be surprises um, it's happened before it's happened before in Alberta uh, but this one as you said I mean the polls are pretty clear and they do have Danielle Smith as as the front runner by quite a long shot look Danielle Smith was the leader of the Wild Rose you know of course then she crossed the floor and joined uh, then the Conservative Party, she went into kind of the political wilderness, became a radio host. Now she's emerged uh, as this uh, front runner. She's very controversial. Can you tell us what the main issues that have propelled her to the front runner status? Well, you, you know, the, the big one and uh, pretty much the, the main plank in her platform has been this idea of an Alberta Sovereignty Act, as she calls it. So this is basically, in a nutshell, it's legislation that would allow Alberta to, say, not follow a federal ruling if they don't like it, if they feel like it's not fair to Alberta. So the government would actually t tell police or whoever to not follow a federal ruling. That's been very controversial. Some have said, you know, that may be illegal. It might be, you know, unconstitutional. 
constitutional and it's certainly dangerous when it comes to Alberta's role within the Confederation and our relationship with other provinces because of course you know sometimes federal rulings go Alberta's way like the Trans Mountain Pipeline so critics including outgoing Premier Jason Kenney have said what if other provinces try to do this too and say well I know the federal government has approved this pipeline but we're gonna say no what if Quebec does that so you know there's a danger here that first of all it might not even be legal and then secondly what if other provinces try to do it too well, we'll watch that. What's amazing is uh, that has not stopped her from being the front runner. We'll find out how uh, this race goes in the next number of hours. Bill Fortier, uh, who is at the convention, new premier, will be decided tonight. We'll be watching closely. Bill, thanks so much. You bet. Love working with that guy. He's great. Great journalist. Okay, uh, Hockey Canada. This story is like baffling. As a, as a guy who coached for uh, many years, and my fees probably went to these secret slush funds, the embattled organization is still in the hot seat over sexual assault claims and the fund, two funds, to pay off alleged victims of sexual assault. Now, of course, as Hockey Canada keeps trying to bungle this, sponsors are cutting ties. Look at uh, the sponsors Hockey Canada has already lost. Tim Hortons, gone. Telus, gone. Scotiabank, gone. BDO, gone. Swiss Chalet, gone. Chevrolet, Esso, the keg. Canada, Canadian Tire. I mean, this is a fiasco for them. Why? Because they have not shown any of these sponsors. They have done the right thing. Even the Prime Minister today suggested it would be time to replace Hockey Canada altogether. Check this out. It is inconceivable that folks at Hockey Canada continue to dig in. It, it's not like there's something extraordinarily special about the people at Hockey Canada that means they are the only people in the country that can run an organization like this. There's lots of people who could run it. So we talked to the sport minister a couple days ago on this program. We'll find out what the future of Hockey Canada as that unfolds. You know what? The truth is people have lost trust in Hockey Canada. And trust is at the heart of today's show, because I want to move back to the political arena. During my time hosting Power Play, MPs have joined me to debate everything from inflation, pandemic restrictions, the environment, taxes, you name it. It's the most valuable thing and the thing I value most, the ability to disagree passionately, to have elected officials come here and fearlessly but respectfully disagree with each other. But there is a massive crisis of trust here, and we would be fools to ignore it. Distrust in politicians, distrust in media, big tech, big pharma, science, you name it. It's rampant. I'll give you an example. A few months ago, Abacus Data surveyed 1,500 Canadians about trust. Here's what some of what they found. 44% of Canadians, that's the equivalent, they say, of 13 million adults, believe big events like wars, recessions, and outcomes of elections are controlled by a small group of people working in secret against us. 37% surveyed, or 11 million people, think, quote, there's a group of people in this country who are trying to replace native-born Canadians with immigrants who agree with their political views. This is commonly referred to as replacement theory. Even 13% of Canadians think it's definitely or probably true that Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, is using microchips to track you and affect human behavior. And it goes on and on. How do politicians, how do journalists and the media repair the damage from this kind of stuff? We've got to get back to fair, factual, and productive debate. That's, after all, the goal for any party is to try to build a better country for all of us. I've got some MPs to talk frankly about that. Liberal MP Francesco Cerbera joins me. The Conservative Deputy Leader Melissa Lanceman's here. And the NDP Deputy Whip Heather McPherson. Okay. First of all, thanks for being here on my last show. I love it. And let's, I, and I love, I will say this, I love the fact that you all are partisan debates, you believe in what you believe in, but you all come here and you respectfully do it. And I don't mind the gloves coming off, but let me just start with you. We all know that there's a trust crisis. We feel it in the media, you feel it in government. 
what's that root of it, and what do you reckon is the best way forward? Well, first, uh, this is your last show, so I do want to wish you much success in your future endeavors, Evan. Okay, Thank that's you. all the time we've got. No, <laughs> no, no, just uh, look, when I say I, I don't think this has just happened overnight. Yeah. I think this has happened over time. I think you have seen um, an erosion in the trust in, in institutions, whether it's from individuals attacking those institutions and their credibility, whether it's from obviously the online world and the misinformation that can be spread there. Uh, I've seen it. I've been a member of Parliament now in my seventh year. Uh, there's definitely a difference from when I first started. Uh, to where we are now. Uh, you definitely hear it on, on, on the ground from individuals. And I sometimes ask, where did that come from? Where is the information coming from? And um, so it, most times it can't be substantiated. And, and, uh, and that, and it's- But it can sometimes, like to be candid. I agree with that. Social media, uh, COVID, there's lots of things that have accelerated yeah. that. But institutions have failed people for a long time too, right? Like let's, people are, I mean, you can weigh in on that. Not, institutions have not been functioning as many people want, Melissa. I mean, we can all just weigh in. Uh, absolutely. First of all, you got three politicians on a panel discussing trust with, uh, with a journalist. Right. At, the, at the point where Francesco's absolutely right, the trust has eroded. Uh, and, and institutions, there are, there are some people that get ahead, and there are lots of people who don't. And the blame game is on those institutions. I think and it's our responsibility to talk really seriously about institutional reform yeah. uh, and doing it using, uh, using the debate that we do every day in, uh, in the House or on these shows. Yeah. No, I mean, social media plays a key role. I think that's that's where a lot of the misinformation is coming from. That's where a lot of the radicalization comes from. Um, people are looking at the information they get from not very reputable sources and and seeing it as, as true. There is that as well, and we have to we have to be cognizant of it. And the government, you know, we, we can move to do some, some work on that. We can put legislation in place. There are things that we could do to limit what's what's allowed to be sort of spreading. You know, the, the, the horrific stuff that came out during during COVID. I mean, the, the, the Invermectin, the bleach, the, you know, all that misinformation. Okay, it's crazy. there's conspiracy theories out Absolutely. there. But there's also legitimate, I, I mean, isn't there, le I mean, we feel, we can't always blame others too, right? There is people in power, whether it's in the media or in science or in government, also have a culpability. Isn't that fair to say? Well, I think every public office holder you know, member of parliament, whatever, and whatever level of government, always needs to look inward and say, "Am I doing the best job out there? Am I going for the highest common denominator in my right. debates in what I'm putting out, or am I going for the lowest common denominator?" It's I think today, I, un, un, unfortunately, you are seeing a lot of debates go down to the lowest common denominator. Uh, it's unfortunate. You're seeing questions asked on institutions. If, I, for example, the Bank of Canada, uh, where. Traditionally, you had never seen that before, the independence of institutions, uh, and you had never seen that before. And it, and it leads to people then questioning, the, you know, those that maybe have not done as well versus others, questioning, these are these institutions on my side? Okay, and, but, and I think but, that's but, very okay, corrosive. Okay, so I think that's interesting, because, I, and I get this, the firing of the bad candidate, I know we're getting into partisan stuff, but by the same token, shouldn't institutions be questioned? Isn't, isn't, isn't that part of, like, what's a sacred cow anymore? Shouldn't there be none? Absolutely they should. And if they don't serve the people they're meant to serve, then it's absolutely our responsibility to question them, to reform them, and to bring better but measures. what's the line? There but what's is... the line between questioning and blurring the line between independence? And, That's the and other thing. misinformation, too, we, we've I think, all, we've, we've always looked at institutions uh, uh, and to make them better so more people get ahead. There is deep division in this country, and that's hard to ignore, and that has nothing to do with... Uh, 
uh, with necessarily this, the, the lack of uh, the lack of trust. It didn't just it just didn't it didn't happen during the last two years. Uh, there have been a whole lot of people that got ahead in this country and a whole lot of people that fall further behind. And we've got to talk about that openly. And I think there are lots of people who have driven that uh, even further and further apart. But you talk about Evan, like you talk about the idea that we also have to take some ownership of this. And that's true, right? Like the, the fact of the matter is that there are political parties in this country that fundraise off fear. Full stop. And, and you know I'm being partisan, but I am. Like, there are parties that right. fundraise off anger, off fear, and, and that builds a division that's not good for our country. Okay, it's not I, good for the way that we deal with media, I, how we trust I, I media. I understand that, Heather. And, 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 and by the way, the media sells on that, too. You know, like, me, media culpa, as we say. I, I understand all that. But by the same time, is that all bad? Like, partisanship matters. You, you're all partisans. You all yeah. are trying to get power. You all have different ideas of what's mm -hmm. good for the country. I understand that. And sometimes you think the other person's party is bad for people. And that's partisanship. What's the line, though, between healthy, rigorous debate and, and, and arson? Because it's getting hard to tell, to be candid. Yeah. It, it's getting hard. To, it, it is getting hard to tell. And then you, you also, I'm a big believer in the freedom of speech and freedom for individuals to bring forward ideas and have very, very robust debate. And we should have that in, in our society. And we do see that. I think sometimes it's, it, you know, it has, it has slid down. We've seen today the news come out on the leader of the opposition on a hashtag, which is basic misogynist hashtag. Is that the level of debate we need in Canada? I, I don't think so. I think we can do better. We can do better as Canadians. We can do better as, as uh, public office holders. Well, we can we can all do better, including the the prime minister, who I you know I fired the first attorney general, had two others leave their caucus. We want to get into partisan politics. Uh, you know, the prime minister is responsible for much of this deep division in this country. He has pitted one group against another, I, I and I think it's I gone down. Uh, and I think as a result, trust has gone down. I, maybe I maybe one of the that. solutions could be that we actually have to have some sort of standards of truth within within political advertising, within I mean, political uh, messaging too, because we don't have that in this country. You can say anything you want the minute you head out of the House of Commons. So maybe something that sort of enforces that you got to tell the truth, because that's not happening right now uh, with our politicians. Yeah, I, and I think fidelity to facts for all of us is key. Uh, I will say this, because I know we're not going to solve it here, but one of the things that I, I do think is important is tra radical transparency, this. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not scripting this. People say, oh, you get questions. Mm -hmm. No one's getting questions from anyone. Having a healthy debate, and yes. I mean it. And and I would just say this, I want to thank each of you for coming and all your colleagues. People often ask me, are you cynical about politicians? I've been covering politicians. Almost all, all of you I know, and you're here for the right reasons. They disagree radically, fine, but you're here for the right reasons. And I really appreciate that you, you come over, they walk across, sometimes you take a lot of heck from us, and sometimes you give it back, and I get it. But I do admire the heck out of anyone that throws their hat in the public ring. It's a hard job. And it's an important job. And the 338 of you, your staffs, I thank you. I mean it. It's, it, you know, I come at you hard. I know it. And it's my job. But I hope humanly, too, and I respect what you do and keep doing it. And I hope more young people do what you are doing, and, and all three of you and, and many more. So thanks for being on the last show. Uh, I look forward to watching you guys mix it up. Best of luck in what you do next. <laughs> yeah, you guys are like, thanks I mean, for having us. Thank you for having us. No, it's a pleasure. A pleasure. And, and, and folks, Talk to your MPs. They're, they're human beings, and they're here for the right reasons, by and large. Uh, so that's Francesco Cerbera, Melissa Lanceman, and Heather McPherson. They, three of them, certainly are. Uh, all right, got to take a break. Uh, this is my last power play show, as you can tell.
So I don't know if you know, uh, on Parliament Hill, basically, it's the motto is cruel to be kind. So we asked a couple people to send videos to say goodbye. It's kind of like a roast, which is how people basically affectionately do affection on Parliament Hill. So throughout the show, we'll go to break with roasts like this. Congratulations, Evan. I'm really excited for you in this new opportunity to take your career to the next level. I just hope that when you get to New York, they cut you off more than you cut me off in all the interviews that we did together. Um, all kidding aside, congrats and uh, wishing you the very best. Evan, they told me that you wanted a little goodbye from your favorite Calgarian. Unfortunately, Jason Kenney is very busy making announcements on his last day, so you'll have to deal with me. Now, I've always said that your superpower is the fact that you seem to have a close personal relationship with everybody in the country. Now you're in a much bigger pool. So good luck building those relationships. You might want to get more memory on your phone. Welcome back to the program. Last number of years together, we've lived through the pandemic. Wars, war in Ukraine, the inflation crisis, fires, floods, hurricanes. Every day it seems there's another crisis, and every day it seems it's harder to find an answer. One reason, as we just spoke about with MPs, trust. Trust in government, trust in media, trust in science. It's plummeting. Is it the system of government? There's lots of reasons. Look, you can win a majority here with under 40%. What does that mean? Is that fair? Well, that's the system we've got. There are so many factors. Winston Churchill famously once said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. And he's right. But what can we do to make sure our democracy is robust enough to face the challenges of the future? I've been thinking about that a lot, as this is my last program before I moved to New York City for my new job. But I've been joined now to ask some wise people, like the former Prime Minister Kim Campbell. She's lived all over the world, and she joins me now. Uh, First of all, Kim Campbell, Prime Minister, what a pleasure and an honor to have you on our last program. Um, look, we're facing a world of crises. You've been in the biggest chair in the business. What do you think the biggest challenge facing not only the country, but as this crisis of trust? How do we address that crisis of trust so we can actually find solutions? Well, it's interesting because we've got uh, an environment that isn't just our own country. Um, I think, you know, I think we've had knockdown, drag them out, uh, partisan fights uh, through all of Canadian history. I mean, you go back to the earliest days of Canada and the fights of Sir John A. Macdonald and others. I mean, this is not anything new. And I think of, uh, you know, when Brian Mulroney became prime minister, uh, the, the mandate before I came to parliament, uh, and, and, you know, the, the liberal rat pack and the, the kind of level of invective in Parliament and attacks and, and the uh, animosity that, that he engendered among the people who were very unhappy that he was in government and they weren't. Um, you know, I think that, that that's, that's nothing new. But I think, you know, as your previous panel pointed out, um, truth really matters. And we are seeing something very frightening, certainly what's happening south of the border. I just saw today that the majority of Republican candidates in the upcoming elections are election deniers. In other words, there are people who say that Donald Trump uh, didn't lose the 2020 election, which is unbelievably frightening because he did lose that election, uh, as mm -hmm. even you know Republican uh, election officials uh, throughout the states have said. So I think that this, this notion of uh, finding, you know, when I was in government, I mean, politicians, I, I, 
I don't think I ever deliberately tried to mislead people, but we all like to, you know, articulate the facts that are most favorable to our side in an argument. But we expect to be caught out if we're wrong. You know, we expect people in your business, uh, as well as the people on the other side of the house, to, uh, you know, attack us. We expect to be challenged if what we say is an exaggeration or not true. But the, the order of magnitude of lies, basically, that has taken a hold of politics south of the border is really very frightening. And we see what's happening, you know, with, with Vladimir Putin. I mean, the, the total uh, woven out of whole cloth version of, of the history of Russia and Ukraine that he uses not simply to make his own political hay, but to justify one of the worst uh, examples of aggression, you know, since World War II. I mean, innocent people are dying and, and cities and infrastructure being destroyed uh, and lives ruined and, and a democratic country being, being, being challenged because of a totally uh, false representation and ideology. So I think um, mm -hmm. trying to find ways of valuing truthfulness and establishing ways for people to know what is true is really, really important as a foundation right. to any kind of civilized politics. We can fight things out, but we should expect to have some kind of respect for for truthfulness and uh, and and for people's ability to call us to account. You know, when we get carried away and exaggerate or misrepresent. I I, I know I got God. I, I love your answers, and I got I know that I, this is horrible, but I got about thirty seconds. What do you think, if I were to ask you the elevator pitch, uh, Kim Campbell, what's the biggest challenge facing Canada right now? What would you say that is? The biggest challenge is to keep our democracy together so that we can deal with the big issues, which is climate change, climate change, climate change, uh, resurgent authoritarianism, and all of the threats to the democratic norms that were dearly paid for by generations of Canadians, including many who lie in graves here in Italy, where I'm living. Canadian volunteers who came to fight against fascism. So mm -hmm. we owe a big debt to those who did that. And we need to keep ourselves together so that we can fight the big issues, which is the survival of our planet and the survival of, uh, as Winston Churchill said, the worst form of government except for all the others that have been tried. From, you're in Italy from those failing hands uh, the, the, in places like Ortona, just incredible. Uh, former Prime Minister Kim Campbell, can I just say what an honor it's been. I love our conversations over the many, many years we've had them. I, I'm such so honored that you came on, our, on the last show of PowerPlay. I know our conversations will continue, but I just thank you so much for your words and your time and your reflections. Thank you. You've been a power for good, so I'm sorry we're going to lose you on Canadian broadcasting, but all the best in your new, your new exciting challenge. Thank you, Kim Campbell. That's a pleasure. Well, she, nobody knows the U.S. better than Kim Campbell. I'll probably get advice from her later. Uh, thank you, Kim Campbell. Okay, I do have to take a quick break. Here, look, it's, it's you know, politicians have been sending roasts. Uh, so we'll play some roasts. We've got lots more to come. Uh, of course, the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations is going to join us. I'll leave you with a few more roasts, and we'll be right back. Evan, congratulations on your final day. I hope your new career is fulfilling. I gotta say, I've always admired your very gentle interviewing technique. <laughs> Hope you enjoy the next journey and congrats again on your last day. Who knew that you and I'd be passing on to new challenges on the same day? What an amazing coincidence. 
And after all of those years of you being an incredible pain in the neck, uh, just hammering me with the toughest questions, I, it was always uh, take my life into my hands politically, go into your studio back in the day. Did you really like to be interviewed by Evan Solomon? My answer to that would be kind of, particularly when the interview was over, actually. Did I really like Evan Solomon? I must admit, yes, I do like the guy. Welcome back to the show. Reconciliation is a critical part of Canada's present in a country that continues to reckon with its past. And this is one of the critical issues of trust that we're speaking about. Our next guest is one of the Indigenous leaders who have pushed this federal government hard to actually act on its promises to First Nations, to Inuit. Canada is just, uh, just marked the second official National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. But are we really walking the walk? And, and what are the critical issues needed right now? Joining me now on our, uh, my personal last show, there's going to be lots more power play to come, but is someone I admire very much, the Assembly of First Nations National Chief, Roseanne Archibald, uh, National Chief. What a pleasure and an honor always to have you on the program. Um, look, I, I could not uh, in any way leave power play without uh, talking about this issue, which has been the cornerstone to any political discussion in Canada. It is the foundational issue. And I, want, I wanted your perspective on it. Uh, what is the most critical issue facing our country from, in this particular uh, aspect of our country? right now it's definitely truth and reconciliation and definitely truth before reconciliation and you know there's a fallout from those institutions of assimilation and genocide uh, you and I are in agreement um, there it's not appropriate to call them schools and you know we've had many conversations about that but the intergenerational trauma that has come out of those institutions and has come out of colonization is definitely one of the biggest issues facing this country in terms of healing that intergenerational trauma. You know, Dr. Pamela Toulouse said that uh, she's an Anishinaabe Kwe scholar. She said 100% of First Nations people suffer from intergenerational trauma, 100%. And, you know, when we talk about the healing path forward, Evan, we're talking about, you know, the reverberation of those institutions, not only in the lives of First Nations people, but right across Canada. When we talk about intergenerational trauma, we're talking about individuals, you know, the homeless person you might see on the street who is suffering from addictions to the extreme case of the mass stabbings that happened in James Cree or James Smith Cree Nation, these are all reverberations of colonization. They are reverberations of those former institutions of assimilation and genocide. And we really need in this country to invest in healing, not only for First Nations, but for all of us across Turtle Island. This issue of the pain that we're all collectively carrying has to be healed. We have to walk forward together. And reconciliation is about that relationship, repairing it and moving forward in a good way. And to me, mm. that's one of the most important things that we have to do in this country. What do you think the media needs to cover better? What are we missing here? You know, we just had on October 4th, uh, the National Day 
to honor missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And, you know, there are a couple of events throughout the year that happen, that event, and there's also an event in May. And it seems like those are the days that we talk about that issue. But, you know, this is another form of genocide. The, the report, the MMIWG report, actually says that what is happening to Indigenous women today, not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, but today, is genocide. And we need the media to have more conversations around how we're going to reach a positive vision for our women. You know, we all want our women, whether they're Indigenous or non-Indigenous women, to be safe, to be protected, to be loved and cherished and respected. And those conversations have to begin to happen as well across Canada. You know, when you think about the resource extraction that's happening in this country, in, there is in the report they talk about the impact of man camps and resource extraction on Indigenous women, particularly violence against Indigenous women. And again, this is another blight upon this country that women today continue to suffer, uh, continue to go missing, continue to be murdered. And again, another reverberation, Evan of the colonization process and those institutions of assimilation and genocide that have created this environment. And not only that, you know, there have to be also positive stories. You know, Indigenous women have to be lifted up. People have to understand right. that Indigenous women are valuable, you know, that we contribute to society, that we are, you know, uh, you see so many women advancing right now and we need to focus on the positive as well. Right. I, I love that, by the way. I, I, we cannot shy away from the hard truths. But one thing about you and, 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 and what so many people in the community talk about, there's so many great stories we don't talk about. So much joy, so much love, so much uh, innovation. And there's a lot going on. Uh, National Chief Archibald, first of all, you know I always love our conversations. I've learned so much. Uh, I, I'm so glad you're on our last program, my last program, not Power. Power Play's still here. Uh, and you are continuing the fight. Uh, Megwitch, thank you. Um, and it's an honor to have you on. Thank you, Evan. I just wish you the absolute best. I've enjoyed every one of our conversations. And I was laughing a little bit at the roast um, because, you know, I've had some hard conversations with you myself. I've never felt like our conversations were a cakewalk by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But I've always appreciated the deep respect that you have, the perspective you have, and I'll miss you, and I know that many people will miss you. National Chief, that means a lot. Um, look, hard conversations, that's what we're here for. Uh, thank you. She's one of the greats. Okay, that's the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nation, Roseanne Archibald. Uh, the press gallery standing by, as uh, National Chief just said. Uh, the way of the world here is a friendly roast. So I'll leave you some more friendly roasts, which, by the way, thank you to all the people that are roasting me. I love it. Uh, that's the way we roll, and we'll be back with the press gallery. Check it out. Evan Solomon. As an Alberta MP, I've always had a small issue with your tagline, tough but fair, because it kind of sounds like the only cut of beef that Canadians can afford these days. And I think the best journalists make our country stronger because they hold leaders to account. 
And in that, you don't give off chuck roast vibe. You've got filet mignon energy. So as you head into a very well-deserved new gig, maybe think about switching up the tagline because you are tough, but you're also great at your job. Congratulations. Hey, Evan, I understand you uh, actually fancy yourself uh, Newfoundland or Labradorian, but sources tell me that you actually haven't been screeched in, although you claim you have. They also tell me that you fancy yourself a runner, but you've never done the Tele 10. How can you reconcile all of that with your love for Newfoundland and Labrador? Enjoy the next stage of your career, my friend. You'll be missed. So are we, are we done now? Is that the last one? Uh, no, Minister, we've got one more for Evan Solomon at CTV. It's his last show tonight. Evan who? Who's that? One thing I won't miss is you're correcting and grading the answers on the TV show. So what happens is you ask a question, you, your guest gives the answer, and then you make sort of a sarcastic comment like grading or marking the answer, but then you pose another question. So then the person being interviewed has to wonder, well, you know, do I respond to the sort of snarky comment that you've just made or try and answer the second question? So my hope is that your successor won't pick up that bad habit and that bad habit will serve you well in New York City. And we're gonna miss you in Canada, but I hope that we have a chance to keep in touch and get together soon. I mean, that wasn't the greatest answer by Dom. I mean, it was okay. I mean, I have another question for you, Minister, but that was, I mean, if that's really your, thank you. I love this. Look, uh, first of all, the political roasts have been great. Um, part of covering politics for years is getting to know politicians, holding their feet to the fire, but trying to be respectful. Look, we debate inflation, climate change, tax. Today it's Hockey Canada. Tomorrow the hearings into the Emergencies Act. Every day there's another crisis. Beneath the debates, is there a sense of erosion in our system? There's always been distrust of media, science, politicians, technology, but now there's like a distrust of facts in general. And I think it's a really big issue. So as our last episode of Power Play, I brought in the press gallery to discuss some of the challenges covering politics and what you might expect as the future unfolds. Bob Fife is a young reporter from the Globe and Mail. I think he's going to make it. He's an Ottawa bureau chief there. Obviously used to be here at CTV. Great to have you here. He's been a mentor of mine for a long time. Um, my he was predecessor, the host on Question Period. My God, so many things. Stephanie Levitz. Uh, is there a smarter person on Parliament Hill? I don't know of one. Uh, Parliament Hill reporter for the Toronto Star. Uh, you better say something smart because I think you're the smartest person I've met. And of course, my longtime friend and a guy who I've learned more from, Nick Nanos, founder and chief data scientist for uh, Nanos Research, who we've relied on over the years for so much data. First of all, I mean, I just let it go. This is it. This is my perfect dinner party, you three, and there's so many great journalists on the Hill. But Nick, we cover politics for a living, and, and, and but is there... A, you know, is there data on an erosion of trust? Oh, there's an er erosion of trust, not just in Canada, but around the world of institutions. It's like this, Evan. Think of it this way. People do what they're supposed to do. They go to school, they work hard, but then they can't pay the bills. It's kind of like the social contract is eroding. And as a result, whenever a politician says something, whenever a reporter says something, whenever a pollster says something, they're angry, they're cynical, and there's lots of anxiety. But, but is there reason for it? Look, you know, go back to institutions have failed people. Let, let's say Watergate just as a moment in time. People just realize, okay, you know what? There's reason to distrust government. 
And since then, there's been lots of other reasons. Is that something that we're feeling right now, that sort of long-term run against trust? Look, we've just come through a national or international pandemic where right. one by one things that people held sacred, that they believed in, that they trusted, weren't working for them. Everyone was forced into silos. They were forced into isolation. You didn't know who to trust because, you know, think about the virus itself. You couldn't trust that your own family wasn't going to give it to you. Who are we supposed to trust? And watching scientists try and, you know, brief the public yeah. in real time with an, an emerging virus where the information was changing, that doesn't help underpin that trust. And you start to see even more of a breakdown. And also as people move into this more, I think, individualized silo effect that we're all in, where the question is, you know, who will be for me, not who will I be for everybody else. Right. And in your course, Medium, you're, you can just watch what you watch, confirmation bias. Bob, uh, you've covered things for a couple years here. Mm -hmm. Are things changing? Well, yes, I think that social media, uh, the poison of social, social media has really undermine trust in journalism, in our institutions, and it's, you know, we allow anonymous people to spread a lot of hatred and vitriol, and we're now seeing our, even our politicians doing that very same thing. I mean, Pierre Polyev has, has gone after the media the same way Donald Trump has, and that's a, that's a deep concern. Now, Here's the big, the, my biggest concern is the decline in, in mainstream media because outlets are, have fewer and fewer people covering politics. Right. When I came here in 1978, we covered everything. Now, I would say 80% of what goes on in government is not covered by reporters because we don't have the reporters to do that kind of in-depth reporting which is not serving our democracy and very well. And I would also well. argue, too, that what's lost in that is the accountability piece, right? We have moved to, we are in a place, I don't think that politicians have ever necessarily been super willing to stand up and say, I'm sorry, right. I screwed up. But they certainly don't do it now, and there's less of us on the Hill to hold them to account, to force them to own up to their decisions. And so if they can skate and never be held accountable for the things that they're doing, why would people trust that they're and, acting in their best interest? And Nick, go ahead. But I mean, I think even for the media's fault, just going back from what Steph and Bob are saying, you know, it's expensive to do investigative journalism. So, frankly, debate and opinion has a, is, a, is a less economically onerous way to cover politics, but it doesn't cover the guts of government often. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, what's dominant right now is gotcha politics, right? right. It has eyeballs. It drives readers and viewers. And, you know, the reality is, is, I'll tell you for average Canadians, you know what they want to hear? They want to hear that there are politicians thinking about the future. They want to hear what the foundation for our economy will be, what our social security net will be. And that's all they see are politicians bickering, fighting, and just trying to fight for today with no one thinking about the long term. It's not all bad. Like, we've all faced worse well, times. Yeah. But, and I, but is there an authenticity gap, too? Like, I think people... People, politicians or people that are authentic and real, people will believe still. I mean, it's not like it, it's all is lost. Look, look how most politicians talk. You, you're on the show every day. You see this. They talk to you in talking points, not like real people talk. And we're running into this all the time where politicians no longer tell you what they think or give you their ideas because somebody has given them the talking points. And it's the same way with speeches in Parliament. It used to be right. that members of Parliament were not allowed to read speeches. They had to speak from the heart. Right. But now they have the speeches written for them, and they're talking points, and they're not substantive. 
But what's interesting, though, I mean, we talk about a decline of trust, a decline in the belief of institutions, but I'll reference Mr. Polyev just for a minute. I mean, Mr. Polyev and his leadership campaign for the Conservative Party managed somehow to get 311,000 people to fork right. out 15 bucks, which is not nothing, yep. to cast a ballot. He got people to buy into the system on an anti-establishment platform. So there's so a hunger there. There's a hunger, and I think yeah. it means people are still willing to engage. People I still see room to make a change. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not sure if I'd call it a hunger. There's anger. Maybe we call it hangry. hangry. Anyways, yeah. people want to punish. And they are looking for vehicles and politicians that are looking to disrupt and punish but the establishment. Both, but doesn't it just go both ways? I mean, in 2015, there was sunny ways. Maybe maybe post-COVID, the ways aren't sunny. But is, isn't there still... Do you still think there's a hunger for democracy, community? To, yes, there must be there. Yeah, look, there is. And... What we need is our leaders to step up and talk about ideas and policies for the future. People will respond to positive uh, messages from politicians. I mean, we're all human beings. We don't want to just be drowned in negativity. No. I, the, Steph, the other thing is a good story. Like, and I just talked to all of you and many other journalists. Um, you write a good story with facts that exposes the truth, that is clearly fearless. That connects to people. I, you know, people respond to a good, solid story about something that affects their lives. That's true. That's resonant. That's well done. Yeah, and something that they didn't know before. Right. Right. Something that I, you know, I, in my early mentors in political journalism, you know, were always telling me, you need to pull back the curtain on how the sausage is made. You need to take people into the room. If you can write a story where you can say, the curtains in the meeting room were purple, you have taken them somewhere that they aren't ordinarily allowed to go. Right. And that's part of our job as the political press, I think, is to really pull back that curtain. I mean, Bob's done some amazing work. Think about Jody Wilson-Raybo and, and then that whole scandal in the cabinet room where we're telling people, here is how governing works. Here is how the system works. And that's what's really ultimately at the root of politics. Can I just say something that's important for our, your listeners to, to hear? Uh, we are also accountable. And, and most organizations have ombudsmen set up. Yeah. That if you're not happy, you believe my story is wrong, you can complain. And if you don't think the individual news organization uh, will deal with it adequately, you can go to the National Media Council or, in, the, or in the, your case, the Broadcast Council. Sure. We, have, we do have checks and balances in the system. It's not like we're running roughshod. Yeah, and but, there's standards. Uh, I'm just going to say this because we're, we're winding up. Uh, first of all, there's so many journalists. Tana McCharles, who's been a regular on this program, my God, I could name a, a thousand journalists that I, I've known uh, on print, radio, television that work tirelessly on the Hill to bring news on any organization, whether it's CTV or others, and they're great. But these three, or well, these two, and Nick Nanos, who's been part of us, not as a journalist, but as a, one of our great pollsters. Nick, I want to thank you. Obviously, Steph and Bob. I just think you do hey, phenomenal buddy, we're work. Gonna miss you. You know, yeah. I'm going to miss you. Guys. You're a hardworking guy. You're always interested in the truth. Well, I love and it. And you never stop working. No, unbounded well, curiosity. You're always interested, Evan, and that's mm -hmm. one of the neatest it, things. It's fun. It's fun to watch this guy operate because yeah. he, you can't see him behind the scenes. He's working the phones. He's. But I would say this: we love it, and, and the yeah. passion to pursue it fearlessly yeah. is something I've taken from all of you. So I got to thank you. Now, I wanted to say a couple words, if you don't mind. I'm gonna, this is the uh, moment of self-indulgence, but it's really, the, it's really a thank you. Uh, and I'll get to you, because the most important people are the audience. But it has been an honor. Bob knows. Bob's been in these kind of chairs, and all of us know. It's an honor and privilege to be a journalist, full stop. 
it, you take that job seriously, hosting this program, stepping into the shoes of friends like Don Martin or Tom Clark, they're great. Working with the likes of Craig Oliver, Joyce Napier. I want to thank all of my colleagues. But I want to thank the politicians. They come on here and they face tough questions. They engage in the process. They're accountable. They should do it. It means a lot. It's the heart of democracy. For politicians, you should come and face the media. There's a lot of cynicism about politicians and media. And, and I'm not a cynic. I'm a skeptical optimist. But the best antidote is to be transparent, face questions, take questions, have an open debate. Most people here are here for the right reasons and they want to defend their ideas. Now, I just want to also say this. Um, I get a lot of credit for the show because I'm the host, but it's a team sport, and we're working together. And I want to bring on the producers of the show. I want to thank them. So Paul Dutch, who works so hard every day. Caroline O'Neill. These two are like, they never stop working. Caroline O'Neill is not only working, she's dancing, Irish dancing. Uh, our, oh, look at this cake. This, this is So Paul and Caroline right here. Uh, can you pull the camera back? These guys are great. Our senior producer is Rachel Swatek. There's nobody better organized and as harder worker than, than Rachel. Thank you. you. This is the fearless team, and they make my job look easier. Uh, our bureau chief, Joyce Napier. Our team of editors and camera people. I'm going to name some. Scott R., Scott P., Robin, Dave, Derek, Carlo, Jim, Jeff, Marley, Peter, Jeff M., Jeff D., Ryan, Brian. They're incredible. I hope they all get out here. Get out here. They never want to. They're phenomenal. <laughs> Sophia, who runs CTV News Channel. Thank you. You've been incredible. Peter, Ramnik, Rich Gray. This is a great place to work. It's been an honor. Our crew in Toronto, they're directing the show. They're like, what about us? You too. They're incredible. This is part of the show. I just quickly want to thank uh, my mom who's watching, uh, my wife Tammy, without whom nothing happens, and Maisie and Gideon, the kids. But the most important is you, the audience. It is the honor of a lifetime, not only to work here, but to work for you. Everyone here, and you could show these people, not me, they work hard for you to bring the facts. Bob, Steph, Nick, at CTV, Lloyd Robertson once said, we're first and friendly. And I would only add, we're first fearless and friendly. That's CTV news to me. Um, I hope you keep watching us. We always say at the end, please keep watching. And we mean it. We'd like you to keep watching CTV. And I'm so glad to be part of CTV as a special correspondent going forward. But more importantly, keep watching your politicians. Keep watching their actions. Keep watching how they're spending your money. Keep watching what they say. Keep watching who they're courting. Keep watching their ideas. Keep watching your governments locally, provincially, and nationally. Keep watching the events around the world. What happens out there will come here. But most importantly, keep watching over your own community. When we say keep watching, the most important thing is to keep watching over each other. That is the key to this country. Don't demonize each other. Don't ignore each other. Don't be angry. Keep watching over each other. And that, to me, as I get a little emotional here, is the cornerstone of what politics is all about on Parliament Hill. Our jobs here, these great people who I love, and the technical crew who refuses to come on because that's how they are. They're too modest. They have the cameras that allow you to watch over the 338 people on Parliament Hill and the staffers and all the lobbyists so people, you can have some transparency in your democracy. I'm going to New York to a wonderful new job. I'll be part of this community, but I want to thank you. I want to thank the show, and I want to thank you. Please don't give up the fight. This is the greatest country in the world. It's been an honor. Thanks for being here. Now what we get to do is cut the cake and say thank you. So it's been a pleasure. 
Mike LeCouture will be in this chair for a little while, and Mike is a great journalist and will do a great job, and we'll find out what's coming next. Keep watching. I love you. Thank you, guys.